Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. First Samuel 2, verses 1 to 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. There is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. And those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes the poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah. But the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Thank you, Terry. Remember again this morning on this Lord's Day as we open the word together that though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. Let's go to him and ask just help now as we open the word together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, we do praise you as the eternal God, Lord, that 3,000 years ago we see that you are praised uh, still the same yesterday, today and forever. Lord, the, the one who alone is holy, who is our rock and our salvation. Lord, it's you who laid the foundations of the earth and even now uphold them. And so, God, I pray that we would just be reorientated in our minds and hearts this morning as we come from a, a world that seems to be in such chaos and brokenness and darkness, Lord, that even as I'm sure Hannah was tempted to look around in despair at the many problems in Israel, and yet she set her heart and mind upon you, and Lord, her, her whole uh, heart and being exalted <clears throat> in you. And so I pray that would be the, the case for each of us here, Lord, as we consider who you are, we consider your ways, 
that you would help us to, uh, to perceive it as truth and life. Lord, that we would, not be con- we would not be conformed to the spirit of this age, but God, as we meditate upon your word, that we would be conformed, Lord, to the likeness of Christ through the renewal of our mind. And so we pray that that may take place even now, Lord, as we open your word together, that your spirit may use it, Lord, as the two-edged sword, both to convict and to expose, but also, Lord, to bind up and to bring healing. And Lord, we know that it is only you, even as we were reminded with the children, Lord, it is, it is you alone who can change the sinner's heart. It's you alone who can uphold us and, and uh, hold us fast and continue to do this good work in us that Christ has began. And so we look to you in all of these things now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. We'll continue to look at Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer. I know last week I probably made somewhat of an unnecessary distinction between a song and prayer because really when we think about even the songs that we sing, that we just finished singing, uh, in many ways they are prayers to God. Uh, That's really how we ought to consider them. And so while this is... uh, not so much Hannah expressing various petitions or, or requests to God. This is Hannah pouring out her soul to God, exalting in him, praising him, declaring who God is, which very much is what makes a good hymn, uh, a good song. But I, I hope that there's a sense in which we do say with Hannah, uh, this is a prayer to God. And we, we saw last week, as we just kind of got into the first few verses, that uh, I had mentioned I was going to look at four different causes that Hannah has for exalting in God. I know you could really break this up any number of ways, but just for the, the sake of uh, trying to put it into uh, you know, organized thought here, we, we looked uh, last week that Hannah is exalting in God as her Savior, as her salvation. And she used the word in Hebrew, Yeshua, which we know would be the the very name given to Christ, which means God saves our salvation. Hannah is uh, looking to God as the one who she exalts in. Uh, She didn't exalt so much in the gift that God gave, though certainly little Samuel was a tremendous blessing for her and a joy for her. Her her joy and her heart is exalting in God and not only in the gift that God had given her. And her horn is exalted, she said. This picture of her strength and uh, this picture of God's power at work through Hannah, that she is exalted in him. And her mouth now, where it once was sorrowful and downcast, now she says, I deride my enemies. My, my voice of praise comes up above that of my enemies because God is my salvation. We also saw that Hannah uh, is praising God because he is the matchless one. He's the unique one. In verse 2, she said that he is holy. There is none holy like him, none besides him. There is no other rock like our God. And so Hannah is exalting in all that God is uh, and has what he has done both for her, but also this is, as I said last week, Uh, much broader than just Hannah's 
circumstance of receiving a child out of the season of barrenness, this is also a prophetic psalm looking forward to all that God was going to accomplish through his people. It's looking to the promises of God. So we really could even say this is the song of the redeemed. Uh, It's not just Hannah's song and prayer. This ought to be true of every believer, everyone who's experienced the goodness and deliverance of God, the, the salvation from sin, who's come to see something of Christ in the word, that we make this also our song and we can sing and pray it with Hannah. And so... Uh, this is a, a wonderful even passage. I'm sure you've all heard of the, the discipline of praying the scriptures. Uh, sometimes in prayer, we're not always sure what to pray for. You know, we maybe make a list of various needs that we are aware of and we can, we can pray for those and certainly we ought to do that. But this would also be a wonderful passage uh, to pray unto God and to use it as, as, a, as a help in, in what our prayers ought to look like. Um, Someone asked Charles Spurgeon, which was more important, the reading of scripture or private prayer? And he responded with, which is more important, breathing in or breathing out? And uh, I thought often of that over the past few weeks, that both must be part of the Christian life. And this, in many ways, is Hannah uh, exhaling, breathing out as she exalts and delights in all that God is. So this morning, I want to pick up at verse 3, where we left off, and we're going to look kind of at verse 3, right down to verse 8. Now, there is a tremendous amount of of wonderful truth in here. I mean, even just the the attributes of of God that she uh, describes alone could be an entire series. But uh, I want to look at this section here under the, the heading of God as the sovereign creator and judge executing perfect justice. And I think that somewhat kind of encapsulates what Hannah is describing in this section, that God is the sovereign creator and judge who executes perfect justice. And that runs throughout this section as a theme. And uh, I intended to kind of look at the, the last section this morning too, but I think we'll probably just um, get through this portion here together, and it's certainly worth our time to, to meditate upon it. So in verse 3, Hannah gives something of a rebuke to talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. And the initial thought is, well, Hannah's obviously talking to Penina, who had mocked her and reviled her so terribly. And there, there may be some application there, but we have to look at this much broader, as I said, than just Hannah's situation. This is something of a theme that will run throughout the entire book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Actually, you could look at this, these sort of themes that she's developing here as running throughout redemptive history and really paving a, a highway for us, leading us to Christ himself, in whom all of these things are ultimately revealed. But let us consider what Hannah is saying. She, as I said, is, is exalting in God who's the sovereign creator and judge as he executes perfect justice. And a a key um, imagery that Hannah gives here that's maybe somewhat unfamiliar to us, 
at least it's somewhat unfamiliar to me, uh, maybe you who work more with uh, livestock or grain and such, you're used to thinking and value as it relates to weight. Uh, I think for many people, that's something of a, a foreign concept. But look what Hannah says in verse 3 as she establishes this, this uh, cause for worship to God as the sovereign creator and judge executing perfect justice. She uses this imagery of the, the scale, and she says that at the end of verse 3, Therefore the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So the reason that the proud and the arrogant should be quiet and should be humble is because God, she says, is the God of knowledge, and it's by him that actions are weighed. So first we have this, this reality of God's knowledge, and then this picture of God weighing all things. So before we look at the, the imagery of, of the, the balance scale, Consider the knowledge of God as a cause for the arrogant to be humble, for the proud, the proud to be quiet. Uh, you know, very interesting as well, even in, in our own culture, which we apparently, you know, not that we celebrate it, but they t- call it the Pride Month and all of this stuff, where, where man is essentially delighting in his sin, delighting in his arrogance, delighting in his, his proud um, disregard for God's law. And this word comes against such a mindset and says, you need to be quiet. You will be silenced. Why? Because God, first of all, is a God of knowledge. He sees the hearts of men. He's not deceived by external appearances as we might be. Uh, those whom, maybe even in Hannah's day, those whom people assumed were godly because of their wealth or their position in society or their influence may in fact be spiritually bankrupt. God sees perfectly the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl, and God will judge all according to what he sees. As the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. This has always been true of God. He's the God of perfect knowledge, perfect vision. He sees rightly and therefore he can judge rightly and righteously because he is the God of all knowledge. And then we see how God's omniscience, his perfect knowledge, informs and and, uh, flows into his justice, how these are interwoven. As we know, the attributes of God are all interwoven. And we were talking even Wednesday night, you know, it's, it's difficult sometimes to focus on one attribute, knowing how they all interrelate and are interconnected. And God is, is one. He's not a, a, a being of uh, compartments. But, but we consider the, the, the justice of God as it flows out of his perfect knowledge. And Hannah makes this statement that by him, actions are weighed. And uh, this really does set up the, the thought for the next several verses that Hannah is giving, the examples that begin to flow. And it comes from the idea of a balanced scale. Um, I had found one at the thrift store. I was going to maybe bring it as a 
little illustration, but I think we maybe had tossed it. I don't know if it got minimalized or not. <laughs> Still an ongoing process. But anyways, I think you can get the, the picture in your mind of the balance scale. I'm sure we've all seen something like that, where you have the, the centerpiece, the, the crossbar, and, and the two chains with the, the dishes that hang down. And in, in this culture especially, they did not have debit cards or you know, bank accounts as we might think of it. There were not price tags attached to all of the things you might want to buy in the market. And so they had to establish a way of determining of the value of any given item. And the solution that was brought forward was the idea of the balance scale. And it's not what we may think. I think we often associate scales as used for weighing uh, you know, how heavy something is. If you, you know, go to the ski hill and you have to measure yourself and weigh yourself so they can adjust your bindings accordingly. And we tend to think of scales only in association to, to weight. But in this culture, it, it was the, the weight was actually a means to determining the value. So before they had currency as we know it, they would have a a fixed standard, a weight that was known, and they would use it to measure what was being bought. And uh, for a time, even a a kernel of of wheat, wheat itself was used as the standard by which you would weigh something to then determine its value. And they would have a, a value per so much weight, depending on the item you would be buying. And uh, eventually, the, the use of, of grain, or even in India, they used small berries as the standard for weight in measuring and valuing things. Eventually, um, as many of you know, they, they developed uh, just a, a, a series of weights, of, of metal weights that would have a, a number imprinted on them to indicate how much they weighed. And this would be the standard by which they can determine the value of whatever, whatever it is you're buying. Maybe you're at the market and you're getting some potatoes, you're getting some lettuce, uh, you know, you're getting uh, some articles of clothing, and, and they could use these balance scales to determine how much you owe. Uh, of course, there was corruption, where some would try to alter the weight um, of the, the supposed to be standard. They would maybe hollow out the inside or something and, and, and cheat people, and uh, we'll see God's word clearly speaks against that. And actually, in our own day, um, though we maybe don't see these balance scales used quite as regularly, they are still present, uh, even in our, in our own culture. Um, if you go to the produce section, you will find there uh, a weigh scale upon which you can put your apples or you can put your bananas or whatever it is that they're going to charge you for. And we know they slide it onto the till and, and they're not looking for a price tag, are they? They're trying to identify what is this? Is this bananas? Is this avocados? You know, and, and sometimes you're not sure what kind of apple you got. And uh, it's the really expensive one, unfortunately, or you know, you thought you got the cheap one. And, and, and then they weigh it, don't they? Because the, the value is determined by the weight. Well, this comes from the idea of the balance scale. And there, was, there would have to be some standard that would be uh, compared to. Of course, being good Canadians, we can't decide on the standards. We just adopt two standards. We'll take pounds or, you know, kilograms or whatever, and it's terribly confusing at times. But in that day and time, this was used all of the time in business and exchange and trade. The, the balance scale was so common to them. And Hannah is picking up on this imagery, and she's saying that God is the one 
by whom all things are weighed. And he's not interested in how heavy we are. That's not the idea here. It is, it is in comparison to a standard, which is God himself, the law of God, the perfections of Christ. Hannah is saying that God will hold every human being up to his standard. They will be put upon the scale and they will be shown for what they are. And uh, you may be caught it even in the psalm that we read this morning. In Psalm 62, we see David use a very similar image as well. And uh, he talks about the balance scale going up, um, which uh, I think you can also envision if you've ever played around with them. Maybe for the children, even the image of a teeter-totter. You know, if you have the the oldest sibling of the house on the one side of the teeter-totter and the younger on the other side, what's going to happen? They're going to go up, right? There's no balance there. Um, In Psalm 62... David is uh, comparing those who are a low estate and those who are high, reminding us that we are but a breath. And he says those of high estate, those who are proud, those who think much of themselves, are a delusion in the balances they go up. They're all together lighter than a breath. So David is saying there is so little value in, in what they have made of themselves that it's lighter than the breath. It, the, the scale goes up because they, there's no ability for them to push down against the standard of God's holiness and God's righteousness. And this picture then begins to instruct uh, the rest of what Hannah says in this section. And, uh, and so hopefully that's uh, a little helpful. But we know that this image of the balance scale was, was brought over even to modern day ethics and uh, justice. Maybe you've seen the, the picture of the statue Lady Justice and, uh, or the image representing justice. She has the blindfold on her eyes so that she's not partial to someone because of maybe you know, ethnicity or connection. There's no partiality with justice. She has the balance scale in one hand and the sword in the other hand. Uh, and, and, and this is a picture of justice, um, the balance scale. And this really comes out of the scriptures. It's a, it's a biblical idea. By God alone are the actions weighed. And this then becomes not only something that was used physically for material things in that time, but this is also a very rich spiritual image of the God of the universe, the creator, the judge, will hold everything in the balance. He will weigh each one and will judge according to the actions. A very fascinating story in Daniel 5, you'll probably remember. Uh, Maybe even some of the kids remember this story in Daniel 5 because we again see this picture come forward in that. Uh, Daniel 5, we have Belshazzar has been basically boasting and gloating about his great victory over Israel and uh, using the the, the various uh, utensils and the cups and such that were devoted to the Lord in the temple and they're having a great party and suddenly this hand appears out of nowhere and begins writing on the wall uh, right in the middle of, of Belshazzar's great party that he's having. And he can't read the writing. It's not in his foreign language. It's, it's in the Hebrew language. And, and so finally, someone says, well, there's this guy, Daniel. I think he can read this language. I think he might know what it says. 
And Daniel's brought in in, in Daniel 5, 24. And um, we're told that the inscription was mine, mine, and I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, uh, tekel and parson. And Daniel gives the interpretation. He says in verse 26, mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you numbered the days of your kingdom and, uh, oh, sorry, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, we know that Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And his kingdom was handed over to Darius, the, the Medes, and they took over this once great empire. And this is the picture. God tells the king, one of the most powerful kings of the day, I have weighed you in the balance. <clears throat> and you have been found wanting. The, the scales have, have not balanced. They, they have gone up. And you are deficient. There is no value in you. And so the judgment of God fell upon this king. Proverbs speaks often of this too. Proverbs 11, 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And so this is a, a rich picture. And it, it applies to those who, even as Isaiah, and Isaiah 5, 20 said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for for bitter, though it may seem that such a false teacher or such a, a, a wicked, godless person gets away with it for a season, God is the one who will put them in the balance and he himself will execute perfect justice. Now, we have to uh, clarify something. I know that we talk about, um, you know, our culture, it, it talks a lot about justice and inequality and uh, the need for equality. And, uh, and so we have to clarify what this section does not mean um, because our culture has taken justice and equality to, to just mean the, the redistribution of wealth and authority and power. And as though that is the great crime in all of the earth. But that's not what Hannah is talking about. That's not what God's word is talking about in regards to justice. It is in regards to sin, in regards to our actions. You see, for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. And we saw this in James, didn't we? It's not just that because someone has money, they're now evil or because someone is influential or has authority, they are therefore bad and they must be removed. That's not justice. That's not a biblical understanding of God's order of things. He has ordained authority. He has chosen to give wealth and, and then even prosper and bless his people in various times and ways. The, the, the problem here is that of sin, that of a spiritual bankruptcy and arrogance before God Almighty, an unwillingness to bend the knee to him, to persecute those who fear the Lord or who are in need, who you're indifferent to, to the, the, the hurting around you and uh, are living in luxury and, and, and pride, uh, even as Belshazzar was. That's the issue that is being addressed. And we... Um, 
Um, and, and, and that's the um, concern that I think comes through in this passage that Hannah is, is giving here. And as I said, as you look at this prayer and, and the description that we'll, we'll go through in just a moment um, of, of how this plays out in, in space and time, uh, this also is something of a lens to read the rest of the book with, the rest of Samuel, and as I said, even the rest of redemptive history. These ways of God that flow out of his attributes. I mean, just think for a moment of, of what is about to unfold before us after this prayer. We know that God will establish Samuel as a faithful prophet. God will remove the wicked house of Eli, his sons who are godless, who are sinful, and they are judged by God. God will rout the Philistines who, who had lifted up themselves against the, the, the Israelites. We see the arrogance of Israel in Goliath. Who, who mocks the living God, and yet God will, will rout them, and he will be the, the redeemer of his people. The impressive king of Israel's choice will be rejected, and the forgotten shepherd boy will be appointed and established as the true king of Israel after God's own heart. The humble nation of Israel will be exalted in all the earth, and, and they will have nations after this period coming to behold the, the people of Israel and how God has blessed them and established them. And really all of that points us forward to Christ, the true king, the true fulfillment of Hannah's song, the one to whom all of these threads weave together and point us. And she goes on then to describe how it is that God weighs the actions of man. We're told in verse 4 that the bows of the mighty are broken but the feeble bind on strength. So those who have looked to their strength, their weaponry, their, their ingenuity to deliver them, to protect them, their bows will be broken. And those who have walked in weakness, maybe poverty, but with a heart towards the Lord, even as Hannah, they will put on strength. And we find that those who were full, have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. So we get the picture there as well. Those who once were so confident in their prosperity, those who once were so uh, sure of, of all the, the needs of tomorrow because of their wealth today, they will be found wanting. And those who were hungry, we're told, will cease to hunger. The barren has borne seven but she who has many children is forlorn. So you have this, this picture of God weighing all of humanity in the balance. And those who thought they were rich, those who thought they, they were well off, actually, it is reversed. They are the, the poor. They are the needy. They are the destitute and the fatherless. And then we have... Hannah ex, um, explaining that and, and expounding for us the, the uh, God who brings all this to pass. It is the Lord, Yahweh, that she uses the covenant name for God. It is him who kills and brings to life. It is him who brings down to Sheol and raises up. It is the Lord who makes rich, uh, makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises from the, from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap 
to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. So how, it is, how is it that God can, can bring about this reversal, can bring about this, this great correction, if you will, in the wickedness of the world, the injustice of the world, the brokenness, the arrogance, the pride? What is God's answer? It is that he will judge with perfect righteousness because it is him who alone has the power to kill and give life. It's him who alone can raise up from the dust And it is him who can take the most unlikely of people and by grace establish them in the courts of kings. And we see this play out in the life of Samuel. But as I said, this becomes the the theme of the kingdom of God, of the ways of God as he relates to sinful man. Because he is the creator and owner of everything. He is the righteous one. And this is the, the, the similar lesson, as you recall, that Asaph learned. Uh, and I, I know we have to periodically remind ourselves of Psalm 73. Because, again, I don't want us to think that, oh, the problem is somebody has money or influence or authority. That's not, that's not the, the primary problem here. That's the you know, social uh, gospel of our day. But biblically speaking... It was often those in that category that also were arrogant and boastful and prideful against the Lord. This is why Jesus would say that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because of the love of money, the the danger that it poses to the soul that there, there must be even as we talk with the children, that that supernatural changing of the heart, the the change of, of one's love, that if you hold on to these things and love them, it is a snare to you. And even Asaph in Psalm 73, he was looking around and preaching to himself, but struggling honestly. He said, truly, in verse one, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness and their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts throughout the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain, Asaph is is lamenting. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Asaph is in a dark spot. He's looking around at the godless and the wicked who mock God, who who ignore his commands. And yet God allows them to go on living and prospering. And and Asaph says, even at times, it would seem those who, who are most hostile against God seem to prosper the most. 
and that just feels so backwards, so wrong. And I'm sure we feel something of that even in our own generation. The, the arrogance and the pride. You try to turn on the news to see what's going on in the world. And after a few minutes, you're so disgusted and just frustrated with the, the, the blind indifference to sin and wickedness. And we're going to celebrate the very things that God has called an abomination. We're going to disregard the law of God. We're going to continue on. We're going to, we're going to change nation after nation for the, the cause of self and of the devil. And, and, and it seems that we would think, God, why, why not just you know, rain down hellfire upon these parades or whatever it might be. But Asaph, in verse 16, gives the answer. The answer, I think, to which Hannah is also looking by faith. She doesn't see the fullness of this yet in her life. She would see a foretaste in many ways, but not the fullness that she speaks of. She's speaking of this great reversal in the present tense. And I think it is by faith that Hannah is believing and trusting God will do it. And Asaph says in verse 16, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. And that's the key, the end to which they will come. And he goes on, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, Asaph says. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are before you, Uh, Those who are far from you, sorry, shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. And I hope that we visit that often because we are so prone to falling prey to this idea that, that really, if we're going to have fun in this life, if we're going to experience fullness, then we have to go after all the things that the world tells us to, that there's freedom in, 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 in the, the, the sexual revolution that is going on in our culture. That's true freedom. That's true liberty and peace. No, it's bondage. It's destruction. It's death. And though for a time it might seem like they experience a level of joy or, or, or liberty. We know that in the end it comes as a swift destruction. And there are times that God is pleased to, to manifest this sort of destruction in, in, our, in our very uh, lives. We see people who maybe spent their whole life acquiring tremendous amounts of wealth and and influence. And at the point when they thought they could finally settle down and and travel the world and spend all of their riches, that they die suddenly of a heart attack. And we are reminded of these truths. God is not mocked. God is sovereignly ruling as the creator and judge of the universe. And yet... There are things we may look at and say, God, how is that 
left, how is that not dealt with? The, the crime, the, the murder, the, 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 the abuse that goes on in the world. And we have to, like Asaph and like Hannah, by faith, look towards the end for which God has said, I have appointed. He has extended tremendous patience and grace to humanity. This season where we can hear the gospel, we can repent and believe, though God should punish us immediately on the very day he told Adam that you sin, you will surely die. Every moment after that point was because of the grace and mercy and patience of God. Every other day that Adam lived, every other day that humanity lived is only possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ. God also looking to the cross when our sin would be once for all dealt with. And so there stands for humanity either the the lack that we have when placed in the scale, either it will be dealt with by Christ himself on our behalf, stepping upon the balanced scale. And there, seeing the standard of God's holiness and the perfect life and obedience of Christ Balance the scale perfectly on our behalf and us counted righteous because of what Christ has done. And then we join the the great choir of saints who can say, God is my salvation. God is my deliverance. Not I, even as we sing, not in me, not my works, not my dress, not my attendance on Sundays or my Bible reading. None of that has justified me. It is Christ alone who can balance the scale of which I can never balance. And so if we will not have Christ, if we will reject the only means of salvation, then there awaits those for those eternal suffering and hell because God is a just judge. And if they will reject the Son, who alone can balance the scale, then they will suffer an eternal torment because they have violated and sinned against an eternal God. Listen to what Jesus says as he begins his earthly ministry. And you, you hear these themes that Hannah is uh, developing in First Samuel, a thousand years prior. And, and Jesus would then stand in Luke 4, Uh, Verse 18 at Nazareth, and he would say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant. And from that point on, uh, Jesus is persecuted because it is plain to them what he is claiming. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment to which Hannah was looking ultimately and trusting that God would bring. And so I pray that you also have come to Christ acknowledging your own deficiencies your own inability to balance the scale of God's standard and have looked to the perfection of Christ who has justified all who trust in him. 
And we rejoice, even as Paul would remind the Corinthians, of God's mysterious ways in calling a people who, in and of themselves, have nothing really to offer. Paul Washer has said that the only thing that we bring to our salvation is our sin. We bring our sin and we trust that Christ has sufficiently atoned for it. And we identify with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And let that be where our boast remains all the days of our life, rejoicing in the God who is our creator and is the just and righteous judge of all the earth. Let's close there this morning and ask you to bow with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for this word and Lord, the just incredible um, gift that you gave Hannah, Lord, not only in uh, a son who would be instrumental in the reformation of of the, the, the Israel, um, the people of Israel, and establishing them as a nation, but Lord, we we see that uh, Lord, she is looking at a far greater reality than even her own uh, mind can fully comprehend, and so we we marvel at your ways, we marvel at your wisdom and your mercy, Lord. I pray that you keep us from the uh, despondency of Asaph. Lord, that we would not look around and conclude that you are indifferent to sin. Lord, that you are somehow slow to execute justice. But we would remind ourselves that your patience has also resulted in our own salvations. Our own uh, forgiveness and, and, and being reconciled to you is only because you have patiently endured even our own sin and rebellion. And so, Lord, keep us from pride. Keep us from arrogance. Help us to boldly stand upon your word and call man to repent of their sin and to look upon Christ. Lord, that we also long for the day when the fullness of Christ's kingdom is established upon the earth. And I pray you help us to uh, continually pray that your kingdom come uh, on earth as it is in heaven and to labor uh, to see that reality played out in our homes, Lord, in our workplaces, God, as a church body, that this would be something of a foretaste of glory to come uh, as your spirit works among us. And so we thank you for this time together. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church, or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.